long been a goal of mine uh, to do an Ironman. I don't know why. Uh, it's in my uh, heart to do it. Call it. Blame it on ABC's Wild Roller Sports. I don't know. But someday I hope to complete one. Something appealed to me then, and I just can't shake it. Uh, to those of you who are saying, what is an Ironman? It is a, a triathlon where you swim 2.4 miles, ride 112 miles, and you run a marathon. Um, that's 140.6 miles of exercise in one day. Now, I played soccer growing up, so running for me is not really an issue. Um, now my biggest issue is trying to find time to sit on a bicycle for like a work day. Um, but that always wasn't my biggest fear. My biggest fear at one time was the swim portion. It was difficult. How do you swim 2.4 miles? Um, I've never seen a book called Born to Swim uh, for Humans. We're land creatures, and water it takes us out of our element. Some of you, as your kids, probably were thrown overboard out of the boat and say, told to swim, just make it back to the boat. I think it's better to get some instruction. Um, I had a coach tell me when I first started swimming that I was afraid of the water. I said, I'm not afraid of the water. She goes, yes, you are. She says, you're not breathing. Uh, you're not breathing. Uh, you, you go down there, and you're afraid that you're going to die, so you're gasping for air. And so she showed me uh, how to breathe bilaterally, and she showed me the stroke. And over the past few years, through trial and error, through sporadic and consistent training, I'm actually able to swim. You'd be proud of me. Um, I still have miles to go, but I no longer fear the pool, and I look forward to turning some laps. And you may be saying, well, yeah, that's good for you. I'm not into the iron. Why would you want to do that for yourself? I understand that, but there may be some sport or hobby in your own life. Though I'm drawn to triathlon, you might be drawn to mountain biking or art or soccer or whatever it is. And so it is, and you don't have a reason to explain why it is that particular thing is what you're drawn to. And so it is with prayer. All of us know when you become a Christian, there's just something about prayer. It's just in us. It's something we want to do. We know we must do it, but I think of prayer as like learning to swim. It's difficult, and most of us are out of our element, and we, we're, we're to speak to someone that we, we cannot see. And sometimes it's good just to jump in and paddle back to shore, but the skill is relatively simple, and I think it's better to be instructed on it. In fact, Jesus gives us instruction on prayer. And as you saw up there on that photo where the Iron Man says anything is possible, we recognize that anything is possible with God, not through an Iron Man. Just as it was read earlier to us today by Ben, the disciples couldn't cast out that spirit, and Jesus said this comes only through prayer. And so today we're going to ask and answer the question, what is prayer and how do we pray? That is, what is the subject of prayer? It's important. Is this thing really important? Or is it just kind of one of the other things we are sort of to do along with Bible reading, evangelism, etc.? Or is it, does it have a central role in our lives as believers? And then as we look at Luke uh, 11, 1 through 13, we'll see the school of prayer that his disciples asked him to teach them to pray. And so with that, um, I want to begin with the subject of prayer. The, here's some great quotes on prayer, just to kind of set the context. Matthew Henry says, The Bible is a letter God has sent to us. Prayer is a letter we send to Him. 
that God speaks to us through the Scriptures, absolutely and with authority. Other people can argue other things. I am settled that He has given us 66 books, and I don't think God's going to speak to me anything more until I have memorized all this and I know this cold. Right? Do I know um, all of the, that's in this? I keep researching. I think I have a good handle on the Scriptures, but then I read it again and again. That's God speaking to me, and then we speak to God through prayer. They go hand in hand. We shouldn't separate them. Charles Spurgeon said, No man can do me truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. I love that. God's greatest gift, the greatest gift. I texted several guys this week. I said, We're starting a series on prayer. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for this church? And would you pray for the world to be changed through prayer? I, I don't need anything really in life. I need you to pray for me, and I need to pray for you. Not just pray, hey, these are the things going on in so-and-so's lives, but Lord, make this person a person of prayer. Lord, make me a person of prayer. If Spurgeon said it, and Spurgeon could preach and convert people, he would go in, Spurgeon would walk in to in London to the Metropolitan uh, Tabernacle, and he would practice, and he was just reading Scripture one day, and there was a, a custodian in there cleaning it up. He just said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and this guy gets converted. Yeah, he had the booming voice. I need a microphone. And so Spurgeon needed people to pray for him. I need it. You need it. He also said this about prayer. If he has said much about prayer, meaning if God has spoken much of it in the Bible, it is because he knows we have much need of it. That you can go literally from Genesis to Revelation, there's actually a series out there called All the Prayers of the Bible, and you will see prayer in every single book. Thomas Watson was talking about, or Spurgeon also said this, because he's the living God, he can hear. And because he's a loving God, he will hear. God listens to your prayer. You may have been praying something for years, but he hears you. And we're going to answer, that's one of the questions we're going to answer on that last week is, what about unanswered prayer? Was Garth Brooks, did he get it right to thank God for an unanswered prayer? More on that in about four weeks. Thomas Watson said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Because if you know that story in Acts, and if you remember that story, the people were praying, and they, they didn't even know the power of prayer so much because Peter showed up, and they didn't think it was for real. No, he's still in jail. No, he's really at the door. And so prayer is what fetched the angel. John Flavel said this, and this was one of the most convicting um, verses or quotes that I had this week. It is, a, it is a greater mercy to descend from praying parents than from nobles. Parents, are you praying for your kids? Are you reading church history? What, what effect that Jonathan Edwards' uh, lineage had on the world, the doctors, the lawyers, the things that happened through uh, his family line, and you go back and he would trace it to prayer. Ian Bounds said this about revival, the story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer. That in reading church history, uh, we're going through that now in Compass, and you you read you get into reading the revivals, and the revivals happen because people 
praying. And here's what's even crazier. Here's the biggest revival. The people that were praying were college students. That is a huge answer to prayer. (laughs) They were on their knees and praying, and great things were happening. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. Man is at his greatest and highest when he is upon his knees. He comes face to face with God. Now, people often say, well, I have to pray on my knees. We'll talk about that, and again, in four weeks. Alec Motyer says this, no pray- if to abandon prayer is to embrace atheism. Another conviction. When I'm prayerless, I am unbelievable. I really think I can handle life on my own. I really think that I can be the best husband on my own. I really think I can be the best father on my own. I really think I can be the best pastor on my own. That's what happens when I'm not praying. I am a practical atheist. D.A. Carson, we're going to read from a book here in a minute, but he said this, either worrying drives out prayer or prayer drives out worrying. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anything that's bothering you. I can't assume that everybody here today and there's not one person here who's a little bit anxious about something whether it's a trip that's getting ready to be taken, whether it's uh, some finances, whether it's a parenting or a marital issue, if you're concerned, may I tell you right now, you are free to sow it, sow it to God. Cast it all on Him because He cares for you. Otherwise, the worry will drive out your prayer. And finally, D.A. Carson says on prayer, the Bible, catch this, simultaneously pictures God as utterly sovereign. And we're going to see that here in a couple weeks of God's sovereignty is absolutely in control of everything. That is why he says utterly sovereign. And as a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. How do you hold those two things in tension? You just do. You heard Garrett up there on the guitar. Sounded good. You know why it sounded good? Because his guitar was in tension. It wasn't too loose. He couldn't do it. It wasn't too tight. It sounds good. If I were, you know, into show and tell, I'd have him get back up there and and switch it. But you can imagine. It sounded, because there's a tension. God is absolutely and utterly sovereign. And he calls us to pray. And prayer can move the hand of God. But prayer, prayer can often be frustrating. Raise your hand in here if you're just like, hey, I'm mailing it in my prayer life. I have nothing to improve. Okay. You're with me. We're all in this together. In fact, in this week, in reading all these books, I just said, I'm just going to do, because I had a, had a gut feeling. I had read them before, but something stuck out, and I said, every, almost in every introduction of every book I own on prayer, listen to this. I've had more of a desire to write this book than possibly any other that I've written, and yet I have been more afraid of this one than any other one. It seems to me that it is very difficult to speak and write about prayer. That's O. Halsby on prayer. J.I. Packer, whom I love dearly. I've never met him. I'll get to meet him in heaven. One of the smartest men I know says this of prayer. As a Christian believer, J.I. sees himself as a traveler on Bunyan's pilgrim's pilgrim's path. And as a theologian, he sees himself as a catechist, one who teaches Christian basics to new believers and adult inquirers, seeking both 
viva voce in writing to make the mature writing to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ as a Christian pilgrim and as a catechist theologian he seems himself to be very much a needy junior in God's school of prayer and he goes on to say yet we end up struggling not just over making time for prayer or finding a place for it thoughts wander hearts that um, ardently longed to be praying freeze out once we start we dry up we thought we knew what we had to say but our minds lose focus it seems we start to say it our muddle reduces to stumbling using words that do not express our meaning and finally our muddle descends into silence that's J.I. Patterson on prayer Ben Patterson said, I'm learning to pray in harmony with the Psalms, but I must admit I got off to a slow start. Catch this. I became a Christian at age 10, but it wasn't until decades later. 10 decades later. 10 decades later. It wasn't until decades later that the Psalms began to teach me to pray. So though I am... Uh, now well into adulthood, you're reading the words of a new convert. I still, I'm still wide-eyed and breathless and maybe a little over the top with enthusiasm when I talk about the psalm's value. And then Tim Keller in his book on prayer, quoting uh, how he feels about it, quoting two other people, says this, prayer is nonetheless an exceedingly difficult subject to write about. That is not primarily because it's so uh, identified indefinable, but because before it, we feel so small and helpless. Lloyd-Jones once said that he had never written on prayer because of a sense of of personal inadequacy in this area. P.T. Forsyth, this is the guy that all these guys quote, said this. He's kind of, if if you want to get the book on prayer, it's by P.T. Forsyth. Here's what he says. It is a difficult and even formidable thing to write on prayer. And one fears to touch the ark, but perhaps also the effort may be graciously regarded by him whoever liveth to make intercession as itself a prayer to know better how to pray. He basically said, I'm writing this book on it, but I've got a lot to learn on prayer. I could go on and on about what different people who have written about prayer say about this subject. But let me encourage you. Though it is something great and absolutely marvelous and can be so frustrating, prayer is the most powerful thing that you and I can know. Prayer according to the word. So when I'm talking about prayer, you will never, ever, ever hear me. Well, I'm just a Bible reader and this guy's a prayer warrior or this guy's a prayer warrior, but he's not a Bible reader. They go together. They go together. So I am not separating them. So when you hear me talk about prayer and saying it is the most powerful thing we can do, understand it is prayer according to the Word of God. It is the most important thing we can do. D.A. Carson, in his call to spiritual reformation, says the urgent need of the church. What is the most urgent need in the church in the Western world today? Many different responses are given to that question. Just as in the political arena, single-issue groups have sometimes captured the limelight and temporarily controlled national discussion, so also in the arena of the church, there are groups with a single focus and a single answer to all questions. Some in the church say that we 
what we need is purity in sexual and reproductive matters. And he goes on to list a bunch of staggering statistics. Others locate the most urgent problem of the church less in personal morality than in a large policy issues connected with reproduction. And he goes on to give you more about that. Others say that the church's most urgent need is a combination of integrity and generosity in the financial arena. Well, then some might say we need what we need in this hour is more evangelism and church planting. Time fails to list other urgent needs that various groups espouse. And he goes on, he says, the one thing we most urgently need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. One of the most foundational steps in knowing God and one of the most basic demonstrations that we do know God is prayer. Spiritual, persistent, biblically-minded prayer. D.A. didn't call me, but that's exactly what I was going to talk about today in the Lord's Prayer. Spiritual, persistent, biblically-minded prayer. He quotes Robert Murray McShine, what he said about half a century ago. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. What you and I are on our knees before God, that is what we are. Are we people of prayer? It is the absolute most important thing we can do. It's like breathing. We must pray. It is a necessity. Call it duty. But it's a privilege. We, think of it, we get to speak to the sovereign of the universe. This is what blows me away. This is what convicts me more than anything. When I am prayerless, I'm like, I have access by the blood of Jesus into the throne room of grace to receive mercy in the time of need, which for me is a lot. You're supposed to laugh at that. That was funny. (laughs) You're all like, yes, he does. But I've got access to the sovereign of the universe. We get to pray. It's not that we have to pray. Yes, we have to pray, but we get to pray. It's a treat. It's like uh, dipping dots. It's a treat. We get to pray. So it is a deluti. Deluti? That's a, that's a, I like that word. That's what we're calling this whole series. Deluti. It is a duty and it is a delight. You put those together and you get deluti. That's where I'm going with that. We want to move from mere duty to delight. And so the goal of this series, here's, and I talked to Jim earlier this week, and I talked to Ben earlier this week. Here's what our goal is for prayer. I, I, wanted, I want my own life to change when it comes to prayer. I want your life to change, and I want the world to change because we have seen aright what the Bible has to say about prayer. We know how to pray. I want to see prayer through the lens of the gospel. And two smudges come when we think about the gospel and prayer. Smudge number one is this. I don't need to be concerned how I pray. Jesus loves me. We live in grace. Yes, we live in a grace-abusing society that says anything goes. As long as I'm on my knees and my eyes are closed, I can pray however I want. That's just not true. That's a radical independence that doesn't respect the biblical pattern of prayer. 
uh, it's pragmatic. People come to me. Well, I'm praying, and, and my, my prayers are being answered, so it seems to work. That's pragmatism. That doesn't mean you're praying right. Some people say, well, I pray and I have a peace in my heart. So God's given me a peace. And I go, we can't. That's enthusiasm or almost emotionalism. And I say, that may not be right. There are many men and women in prisons today who had a peace about what they were doing. And so we have a tendency today to idolize. We can idolize prayer. We can make it too pragmatic or we can make it too emotional. And then there's, there's the other smudge that goes to the other end. I'm so concerned about how I pray and getting it right that I never pray. And so we're not here to be biblical policemen. We're coaches, kind of like a coach teaching you to breathe. We're coaches. We want to help you along the way with good principles and good patterns. Theologically, good principles. Practically, we're going to follow the pattern of Scripture. And so we begin today with Jesus on prayer. In Luke 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. In Luke 10, you, you get the scene here that the 72 or 70 are sent out. And they come back. And then you see the good Samaritan to love your neighbor as yourself. You see the good portion to love God with all your heart. And so there you get the summary of the Ten Commandments right there. The good Samaritan loved his neighbor as himself. Mary wanted to be with Jesus. She sat at his feet. Martha was anxious and troubled by so many things. It is interesting to me how Luke so uh, eloquently put right after Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, what should you do? He talks on prayer. And so now Jesus was praying. The, this, this should be it. That's all I, I could have just had um, Travis just put on there, those four words. Now Jesus was praying. And we, we could be done. Right? Here is the Son of God, the one who has always been divine, who becomes human, never created, praying to God the Father. The Son of God is praying to His Father. That's all that I should have to say. If Jesus, who is the perfect God-man, in His humanness on this earth was praying, we should pray. Amen? Okay, we're done. Let's just go to the next. I'm just kidding. We got more to cover. We got 12 more verses and more in this verse. Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus had made a habit of prayer. They knew where he was praying. If you want to do a little homework on your own, out on the front table is a handout from the ESV Study Bible called The Prayers of Jesus and then Jesus' Teaching on Prayer. And it would be a phenomenal exercise for you to go through in the book of Luke chapter a day over the next 24 days and just see how much Jesus prayed and how much Jesus taught on prayer. And when he had finished, it, the commentators say, and I agree, it's as if his disciples walked up. He was in his certain place. He was praying. He was praying out loud. They knew he was praying. They waited. They were observing his prayers. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so that should be the first encouragement to those of us who may be a little prayerless. We can learn how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And he qualified it as John taught his disciples. Here's what the Net Bible says. It was not unusual for Jewish groups to have their own prayer as a way of expressing corporate identity. That is why we, for centuries, have had called this section the Lord's Prayer, though it's really the disciples' prayer. It say, they said that in Judaism they had 18 benedictions, and apparently John the Baptist had some for his. 
The two of the greatest that you probably know of are Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, this is what Jewish people would pray, and the Aaronic Blessing. Apparently there's 16 more. But the disciples wanted to learn how to pray. And in verse 2, and he said to them, now what he's getting ready to say, he could have said anything. He could have said whatever he wanted. This is the Son of God who had just been praying to his Father. The disciples come and say, teach us to pray. Jesus could have said anything. He could have said, pray to whoever you want, however you want, about what you want. But he doesn't. So is Jesus limiting them and is he somewhat limiting us? To some degree. To some degree, he and his wisdom chose a pattern for us to follow. And so without becoming sterile in prayer, I think, though it's not the only prayer in the Bible and it's not the only way you should pray, I think the theology and the concepts formed from this prayer given by the Son of God should inform most of our prayers. This is what Jesus says when you pray. Notice what it doesn't say. And he said to them, if you pray. Read the Bible slowly. It's, it's, he didn't say if you pray as if, if it's an option. He assumed it was happening. He assumed this is just how it's going to happen. When you pray. Here's my first application and one more quote and then we'll give you one prayer. Do you plan to pray? Do I plan to pray? Here's what D.A. Carson said on planning to pray. Much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. And look what the quote is on. It's on a sign. Let us, here's my, here, here's my one application this week. If you do not, and if you've already planned your prayers, praise be to the Lord. He is guiding you. He's enabling you. Amen. Keep it up. Excel still more, said, would say Paul. If you do not plan your prayers, might I encourage you this week on that smartphone to take it out five minutes and put five minutes every day, some days where you're going to, am I, now don't, he just said five minutes. Well, that's, start, right? You want to run a marathon? You start with a mile, right? I was walking up the steps today and my legs were kind of aching. I'm like, how would I ever do an Ironman if I can't even get up the steps? Start small, but here it's never going to grow until you and I start when you pray. Five minutes. Five minutes a day, we're talking to God. We'll talk about content in a bit. When you pray, this is what he says, say. I'm going to stop on that word, legete in the Greek. To say, to speak. Let me read you the definition. To point out with words, to call out, to speak out. When Jesus says say, he means for us to speak our prayers. Can you pray in your mind? Yes. Actually, C.S. Lewis thought it was a that was the, the, how Christians were advanced, was they could pray their prayers in their mind without speaking. But even Lewis says, you better speak them out loud or there's an opportunity for your mind to run amok. Jesus said, say, speak out loud. David Pallison says more than 95% of the Psalms 
portray or invite audible words directed to God. He says, and I agree with him, it is fair to say that having a quiet time is a misnomer. We should more properly have a noisy time. By talking out loud, we live the reality of talking with another person, not simply talking to ourselves inside our heads. Of course, he says, silent prayers aren't wrong. He gives you 1 Samuel 1, Nehemiah 2, Genesis 24, but they are the exception. In Jesus' teaching and example, a praying individual seeks privacy so he can talk out loud to God. We'll see this in a couple weeks. Or next week, go into your closet and pray. Not Not just because you don't want to be like the hypocrites, but because you could speak out loud and talk to God. So the standard practice for both public and private prayer is to speak so as to be heard by a person with whom we are talking. Prayer, and I love this, prayer is verbal because prayer is relational. And J.I. Packer in his book on prayer said that. What separates us and makes us different from the other parts of creation is that we can have a verbal conversation with the sovereign of the universe. So he said to them, He's giving us some direction. He didn't just say, you know what? You're good. These are his disciples. His disciples came and said, teach us to pray. He didn't just say, just pray what's on your heart. Just do whatever. Now, can you do that? Ha Four weeks from now, absolutely pray what's on your heart. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says, God wants to know what's in you, not what ought to be in you. So just pray what's on your heart. But Jesus does give us guidance. say, and here's what he's going to do. Now, I'm not going to unfold all of this this week. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a five-week series on it. But I will give you an overview. Father, it is personal, paternal. This is a God who cares for his children. The idea of language, this is what separates us from all of our creation. We can speak to God. God is not silent. He loves to talk to his children. Father, hallowed be your name. If God is personal, he is purposeful as well in our prayer life, that he is about his glory. He so has worked the world that if he is most glorified, we are most satisfied. When we speak to God the Father, we are not speaking to our peers. There is a formal part of our relationship with God that has gone out of style. We pursue, we presume this casual approach to be more authentic. We always land on Abba, Father. We don't, we don't preach the Father reverent aspect. We always hit Abba. And that's, no, there is, there is an intimacy with the Almighty. Amen. We don't, gone are the days of stoic, stuffy, rigid prayers. But without the stoicism, without the rigidity, without the stuffiness, we can bring back some of the formality in our prayers. We don't approach the sovereign of the universe um, without reverence. Is he our father? Yes. But he is the father of the universe. He is God the father. He has a program, Your Kingdom Come. In 1120 of this same book, it's 
says, but it is by the finger of God that I cast that demon. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom is somewhat here, not in its fullness. It's a now, not yet. And so we're going to talk about that in two weeks on why do we pray for the kingdom? Why do we want it to come? And you'll notice that a lot of the prayers you see in Jesus' model prayer for us, in all of Paul's prayers, they are concerned about the big picture and the big things of God. Does that mean we don't pray about the little things? No. Pray without ceasing. Pray for all things. But there is something. I think we normally pray more grocery list prayers than we do biblical prayers. Give us each our daily bread, verse 3. He is a personal God. He is a purposeful God. He's got a program, and He provides. The historical context of this, there were no supermarkets. So you don't walk in and go, man, do I want uh, Italian bread, nine grains, flat, ciabatta? That's not where they were. There were no supermarkets. They were more dependent. I wouldn't say more dependent, but they understood their dependence on God and Him answering prayer than we do. I walk into the supermarket, and I'm not concerned about where the bread is. I, I know what aisle it's on. I'm concerned what's on prayer. And so today we need to maybe back up and say, Lord, you are so great. Before we even get to give us this day our daily bread, you are so great to have taken care of me. And notice to the juxtaposition, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread. Again, you're not going to see me polarize, just always and only pray for kingdom things. Pray for what you need. They go hand in hand. They're right there, but I'm afraid that most of us fall on provision and not praying for the big things of God. One of the convictions I had this week is, what are you praying for that only God can answer in your church? And he goes, I don't want to be praying bigger prayers for your church than what you're praying for. And it stops me in my tracks and goes, am I just praying for just the little things, this verse 3 daily bread, or am I praying God do some great big things? Most of us are good at provision. Many of us need to spend some more time on God's program. Look at Paul's prayer. Just seriously, start in Romans and go through, um, what is the last one, Philemon, and look at Paul's prayers. He, he didn't pray, Timothy, I hope you get that, I don't know, did they have cars back then? Hope you get that cool horse you've been really wanting to ride. He said, no, no, I, you do the work of an evangelist. I want you to pray for these things. And then not only does God provide for us, that's our, our physical needs, but more important than that, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. He pardons us. This isn't a salvific prayer. This is his disciples who are coming to him and saying, Lord, how should we pray? These are people who are following Jesus. He says, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Absolutely, God answers the prayer of an unbeliever when he comes and says, Lord, forgive me my sins. But this is about you and I in fellowship with one another. It's what 1 John 1, 9 says. This is what John says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the idea here. We, what this shows and what Jesus is going to show is that we have to admit that we are sinners. 
we have to admit we fall short of God's glory. And then lead us not into temptation. We need God's protection. This is not that God would ever lead us there like, hey, God, lead us not into temptation because last week I thought you led me into temptation. God doesn't do that. It's the idea that God would show us the way to keep us and protect us from being tempted. And so you get this summary here that he is a personal God. That is his goodness. He's a purposeful God that he's about his glory. He has so tied his glory to our lives that if we seek his glory, that is where we're most happy. He's tied to his program, his kingdom, our provision, our physical needs. God knows what you need, not necessarily what you want. And our pardon, our spiritual needs, and God knows that we live in a fallen world. And so that is the Lord's Prayer in a nutshell. We're going to expand on that over the next four weeks. But he goes on in this section, this aspect of the Lord's Prayer, to talk about two different things. He gives an illustration, and he said to them, Which of you, who has a friend, will go to him at midnight? That is, the friend probably came at midnight to escape the heat and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Hospitality was huge in that day. To not accept somebody when they came to your house was a major sign of disrespect. And so he says, and this guy that you go to will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't, cannot get up and give you anything. Back in that day, the whole family lived in one room. It was like an efficiency. Call it the most similar picture I can get is a hotel room. You open the door and there's the kitchen, there's the, there's the bedroom, there's everything's right there. And at night, you're with your entire family and your animals. So here's a guy who had just gotten the kids down. And when the kids go down, you don't want to wake a sleeping baby. Amen? We were yesterday, went to the Rapids game. Didn't see Will for a little bit because they had a baby. And when that baby, when no one's down, he sleeps. And so this is that guy at midnight. And here's this guy knocking on the door. If you've ever put a kid down, you know how this guy feels. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, verse 8, though he will not give it up and give him anything because he is his friend, he's, his first inclination is not in this situation to get up because he's his friend. But why? Because of his, and here's where the ESV, I think, gives the best word, his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. This word in the New Testament, let me just, I don't do this normally, but I'm going to do it today. Hapax legomena, ever heard of the word? It means used only one time in the New Testament. This word is never used again in the Greek New Testament. It's used here for a very specific reason. When this guy comes, he doesn't just come and knock once. Hey, buddy, what's up, buddy? Let me give you the definition of this word. To do whatever you do with a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. And so when he comes to the door, I need bread, I need bread, I need three loaves. Why three loaves? Because your mom probably is a big fan. I need it, can you help me? That's what he's doing. Like you're like, why is he beating on the pulpit? That's so not proper. Exactly, that's the point. Why is Luke using this word? It's 
as Christians to go this, and, and, and another nuance of the word is this shame, there's this shameless, but then there's this persistence, this shameless persistence, this boldness that doesn't care who's around. I'm going to this person to get what I need. Christians should go boldly before God when they need his face. He is more gracious than this caring human neighbor who would just get up because he wanted to keep it quiet and not wake up the sleeping baby. The point is, we need to go to God like this and persistently beg him for the things that we need in our lives, for the forgiveness that we need when we sin. Not a forgiveness in a salvific sense, but God, restore our relationship. I want to walk close to you. We need to pray these big things, and we need to go persistently and shamelessly and just go and go and go and go. You're not going to bother God. I just I don't still want to bother God. I prayed that prayer before. Uh, you be persistent. You be like Luke 18, that persistent widow who went back to the judge day after day, day after day, day after day. And though this judge did not respect man or God, he said, I will give her justice so she'll stop coming to me. How much more, right? There's, this is the logic, that we go to a gracious God who never sleeps, who will hear our prayers, who follows that up with some promises and principles. And I tell you, verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus gives a promise to persistence. The, the, the grammar of that is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It goes right with that illustration of being the one who is shamelessly bold. And then he gives the reason. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this only works in the English, so I couldn't go to Romania, Russia. I couldn't go to Papua New Guinea and do this. But if you notice, if you highlight those first letter of those three words, ask, seek, and knock, there it is. You've got to ask. Keep on asking. And you just keep asking. And you ask, and you ask, and you ask. But we become too proper in our prayers. And like, I've already asked him several times. I know he heard me the first time. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Don't be prim and proper. You be shamelessly bold. And you're thinking to yourself, yes, Greg, but I've asked in my life. I'm not answering. I've asked and I've asked and I've asked. And he's not answering. You will receive, but it may not be what you expected. You will find, and it may not be immediate. It will be opened, but it may not be on our timetable. Because this is the, this is when it comes to prayer, I think I give you a simple application, put it in your smartphone, pray for five minutes, you'll do that. I know you all. I think the biggest struggle with people in prayer is I've been asking, I have been seeking, and I have been knocking, and it has not been answered. What about unanswered prayer? I've got a quote here, but I'm going to save it until the last week. Because I want us to keep asking. I want me to continue to ask. There are certain people in my life I've been praying since I've started walking with the Lord for 16, 17, 20 years. Got to keep asking. And sometimes I put their little card or I put that list to the side and I forget about it. But I wonder, God is absolutely sovereign, so you're right. 
But in my compatibilism, I wonder what would it may have happened. And I know this is the best of all possible worlds, so don't hear that. But why not? Why am I not more persistent? Why am I not as shameless? Why am I not as bold? I'm just I'm preaching to myself now. If you're this is helping you, good for you. This is me talking to myself. Why, Judd, are you not? That can it tells you right here. He's going to answer it. He gives you that illustration. You can be shameless. Why don't we do it? Why are we so? Why do we just so do it? prim and proper, and we do our little um, formal prayer plan, which I think is good. But why aren't we just shamelessly knocking on God's door? Tear down the world for God through prayer. It will all be answered. And then in 11, what father among you If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks him for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Those were common foods in those days. Yesterday, my youngest son was asking for food. He is always asking for food. We we had just eaten food, and he wanted more food. Can we go get some food? What if I would have told him? You know, buddy? I know there are yummy chicken tenders over there and salty french fries and M&Ms and popcorn. You know what? You don't need any faith. Why don't I give you a lima bean? (laughs) Why don't I give you, lima beans are good, so don't, don't, I'm not anti-vegetable. Why don't I give you some rocks to eat? Maybe if you chew on rocks. I didn't do that. What father among you, if he asked for a fish, He'll give him a serpent. If he asks for eggs, he gives him a scorpion. All, all time, I guess they're growing. That's all they ask for in the morning. Can we have eggs? We just want eggs. A good father doesn't trick his kid. Come get some eggs. Here's a scorpion. You don't do that. Verse 13, check this. This is, Je- this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He never sinned with his words. Jesus, who always had his disciples' best interests at their at his, on, on his head, this is what Jesus says. If you then, who are evil, Jesus, you can be so mean. I can't believe he just said that. He just, he just called me evil. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, let me put that, if Judd, just make, let me make it personal to me, you can personalize it to yourself. If Judd, who is evil, though he loves Jesus, saved by grace and all, though Judd, who is evil, knows how to give chicken tenders to his kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus made it plain. We are evil. The commentators say it, and I agree. We have an innate sinful tendency. But God is greater than who we are. If we, in our sin... We have a new nature, but we're still here. If we know, even with that old nature that battles, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more, God, who never sins, will he give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In Matthew 6, he talks about who will give all good things. Luke narrows it down to a good thing. Now, let me give you one verse before I answer. What does he mean by ask and God will give you the Holy Spirit? Romans 8, 9. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Amen? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Okay? So you have to keep Romans 8 in your head when we go back and we look at what is he talking about here? What he's talking about is much of what goes on in the Gospels. It's anticipatory. He says here in Luke 11, how much more will God give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Him? He says in John uh, 14 and 16, I have a helper who is going to come. I must go away from you, and when I go away, then I'll send the helper. So according to Romans 8, 9, you and I have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Promised in Joel 2, comes down to the earth in Acts 2. And if we don't have Him, according to Romans 8, 9, we're not Christians. So here's what happens is... Sometimes we read the Bible and we say, well, it says it. This is, I have a, a friend who's been witnessing to a, a Jehovah's Witness, and they, they go and they just pick verses out and say, well, the Bible says this. And you're like, no, you've got to read the Bible as a whole. We are not proof texters. We go from Genesis to Revelation until Joel, the Spirit is promised. Acts 2, he comes upon. Romans says, if we don't have the Spirit, we're not Christians. And so here you get this prayer of Jesus, the model prayer in Luke. What does that mean to ask for the Holy Spirit? Here's what I think it means. Jesus is anticipating the time when the Spirit comes, and if you have accepted the Lord Jesus, you no longer need to, and I've put it on a slide here so you can see it, you no need, longer need to ask for the Spirit. Romans 8, 9 tells you that. You have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you aren't a Christian. What you need to do, and what I need to do all the time, every day, is ask from the Spirit. Things have changed. We ask from the Spirit that he would convict us of our sin because we can get blind spots on and we can think we're just, we're, we're nailing it and we're not. We need to be convicted of sin. We can, be, uh, we can be so caught up in our sin we don't realize the comfort we have in salvation. And these are all things from John 16 and Galatians 5. We need his guidance every day. God, give me the wisdom to walk wisely today. God, in this baptism class that we taught today. This is what I prayed this morning. Give me wisdom on how to speak to both adults and kids. I'm not good at it. I can speak to adults or I can speak to kids. Both is hard. So I was just like, Ben, you do it. That was the wisdom he gave us. Ben, have Ben do it. No, I'm just kidding. We had planned on it. <laughs> but I still needed wisdom. And the power to walk worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You and I can't do it. Great Sunday school today. Learning. If I'm to love and be an imitator of God as his beloved children, I, I need the power of God in me to do that. So I ask from the Spirit. Spirit, I know I have you. I've got to have you. Romans 8 9 says I have you. But give me what I already have. Give me more of what I already have. Help me walk by that power. And to see the fruits in our lives. Am I personally full of love? Am I full of joy? Am I patient? Holy Spirit, bear these fruits in me so I can witness to the world just like you through me witness to the world of God the Father and God the Son. So when we get to these verses, we sometimes we have to back up and say, well, that just looks awkward. Give me the Holy Spirit. I thought I had the Holy Spirit. You do. And so we don't ask for, we ask from Him.
And finally, I conclude with this. He gave you promises. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. But that necessitates persistence, a shameless boldness. Oh, in my own life, if I would be shamelessly bold to go every day to the Father. And that persistence necessitates a plan. It's not going to happen unless you plan it. We plan everything. We plan retirements. We plan to build houses. We plan everything. Why wouldn't we plan the one thing? This is the one thing that will change the world. Go back to Mark 9. Why couldn't we do this? This kind only comes through prayer. We've got, we can do great things, but we don't plan to pray. We'll plan to do a Bible study. We'll plan to do apologetics. We'll plan and do all sorts of things. But in my, and this is maybe I'm just speaking about what I've observed. Maybe I'm wrong. But what I've seen in the Christian life is when it comes to prayer, you hear the crickets chirp. I could, I could probably, I could get Jim here and Ben here and we could say, we're going to do a little Bible study on systematic theology and Jim's going to do it one week. I'm going to do it another. Ben's going to do it another. He's going to bring the Church of Christ view. He's going to bring more of a charismatic view. I'm going to bring my view. Everybody, oh, let's show up. There's the elders building a pizza. (laughs) Wednesday night, we could take up an offering. We could make lots of money. Put the curtains up. But if I said, hey, We're going to come together and pray. It'd be me, Jim, and Ben. (laughs) Or very few. And you'd you'd laugh and say, oh, that's, trust me, two years ago. I I still want to do this. Maybe it's just my lack of faith. Hey, let's kick the year off. Let's get the entire first week of the year to prayer. The entire first week. And everybody comes up, oh, don't you get it? We're praying at our houses. No, come together as, as, as like they did in Acts, like they did to release Peter. Come together as a church to pray. And we gave an entire week to it. We did it at different people's houses. It was the same three people every night. just gets awkward when it comes to prayer. Everybody has their own way of praying. and No, let's just pray and let's come together and pray. You are invited. We've done it every week and you're always invited. And I would, I would, I'd probably retire if I came next Sunday when the entire library is full at 8.30 as we're praying. We'll even put someone in the nursery. But we don't do it. I don't do, I don't always do it. So don't, and I, I can, I can be the I can, I'm pointing that myself because I can be the worst offender in here. Me and Heath are trying to figure out something on the board. Oh, I got to figure this out because if I don't figure this out, the church service won't go good, and then people won't hear the gospel, and then and it, and it's all worried about me. No, just go pray. Who cares if it doesn't work, right? I, I've never let. I've heard people leave Eagle Bible Church. Man, you know, you guys weren't welcoming and you were cold. I've never heard someone say, "I'm I'm leaving because the technology, man, it was off." The slides didn't, he, Travis kept going back and forth between, no one's ever said that. So I need, in my own mind, so I'm talking to myself and hopefully you'll see maybe in your own life, I need to be more devoted to prayer. Because it doesn't come without a plan. And you're not, you and I aren't going to plan it, we're only going to plan it, and here's where I'll end. 
should we consider the priority? It's that, it's that easy. Uh, people will plan. I see it every week. People will plan Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They will get out of bed. They will have sleep in their eye because they have planned. They need to be physically fit. I'm going to go do this. And they will submit themselves for an hour of gentle torture. But it, what they, but they come and they do that. 5.30, 6.30, and they want it. And they want it planned out. I want to warm up. I want skills. I want some sort of workout of the day. And they'll do it. We, it's a priority for them. Or there will be people who, who will put money every month aside for school, retirement, health insurance, etc. You will plan it. But when it comes to prayer, it's kind of a free-for-all. Ah, don't talk to me about my prayer. No, I want to because I'm talking to me about my prayer life. We must learn to pray. And, and it's like, we'll get into this, it's like a little kid when they're learning a language. At first it's cute with the oohs and ahs and, and Nolan doing the da-da-da-da. But can you imagine 20 years from now, he's like, da-da-da-da. You're like, come on, Nolan. I would have called my mother today. Hey, mommy, 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 mommy. She would just, are you okay? Have you been, you're a pastor. Have you been drinking? <laughs> We must learn to pray and pray well. We must pray persistently. I think the learn part, we're, we're, we're well on the way. Persistence, we could use some more. And we must trust Him. God, it may not be what I want. It may not be in my timing. And it may be something so totally different than what I've laid before you. But I trust you. Will you answer our prayer? Father, Teach us to pray. Your son gave us some pattern. We need to use it. We recognize there is freedom of you to come to you with whatever's on our heart. But help us to become strong in our prayer lives that we're concerned with your glory and your will. We are so thankful for your relationship with us that you decided before you even created the world, to be our Father. Help us, enable us, send your Spirit afresh to convict us that we would pray and that we would come to you with everything. We would come persistently. We would come boldly. We would come in humility. We would come shamelessly. We would knock on that door and that we would not shut until you answered and that we would come and we would pray for great big things. Father, we're going to trust you because you're that good and we recognize this is the best of all possible worlds and Father, you have our best interest at hand and we're going to trust you because you've given us nothing but yourself and we can trust you. Thank you. Thank you for sending the son, your son to die on a cross for our sins. Thank you for sending the Spirit the third person of the Trinity to live within us, to convict us, comfort us, compel us. Thank you. And may we be known as a church who prays. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.